Welcome to the Misty Bloom Book Club. It's Ada. I hope you're taking good care of yourself and doing well. In this episode, I will be reviewing The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. So I thought this would perhaps be the fourth, fifth, or even sixth episode of the Misty Bloom Book Club, but in light of recent events, I bumped it up to the first episode. The Hate You Give is timely, and it felt irresponsible to stick to my original podcast timetable. The Hate You Give is named after Tupac's Thug Life, which I, of course, immediately listened to again, but which I can't play here for obvious copyright reasons. (laughs) However, I do encourage you to listen to it. It is amazing. I mean, Tupac's an incredible musical genius and social revolutionary, and I still miss him till this day. Um, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas is hugely popular. You've probably heard of it. It hit the bestseller list. There was a movie made from the book. So yeah, The Hate You Give is a huge commercial success. However, I didn't care to read it when it first came out because I thought it'd be one of those books that was getting all the buzz only because of the subject matter, not because of its artistic quality or literary merit, but because of the themes it addresses. I thought it'd be one of those the issue books you know that deal with a topical issue and I always feel like issue books are not really for me because they're never about a story but about an issue if that makes sense but hang on and hear me out I always knew the hate you give was about police brutality and racism and American blackness which are important topics but I don't care to read about issues in fiction because I hate the burden that the publishing industry places on the shoulders of minority writers who write about issues where white authors get to write about just a normal life stuff like falling in love, coming of age, daydreaming, going on a date. There's tons of books about random white dudes. Where the author is desperately trying to convince us that these guys are interesting enough that we should spend pages upon pages reading about their wandering reflections on life. So that's the kind of stuff that white authors get to write about. I mean, there's this freaking hugely popular book out there right now, and I think there's an accompanying TV show too. It's called Normal People by Sally Rooney. I haven't read it, but I think the title is ironic. White authors get to be normal while we battle our societal issues. Most black and minority writers are not afforded the same opportunities to be normal. A book set in Africa, for example, has to be about poverty, war, hunger, the slave trade, you know, the usual. I challenge you to go now on Amazon and look up novels by better known writers of African descent. And you'll see the descriptions publishers used to describe their work are usually either like pre-colonial or post colonial even if the book has absolutely jack to do with colonialism but that's how they see us i have to say though that this is not always the case but it is extremely common in the current standard. It's like black and minority writers have to pick an issue and make a story around the issue instead of crafting a story and having the characters experience an issue. And that's why I didn't ever plan on reading or watching The Hate You Give. However, a year ago, someone whose book tastes I trust said she liked it, and so I kind of parked The Hate You Give at the back of my mind to read it at some point. And boy, am I glad I read it. It is so good. I loved it, and I can't wait to have a conversation with you about it. First, I'll tell you what the story is about. It follows 16-year-old Star Carter, who lives in Garden Heights, a poor black neighborhood, but goes to Williamson, a suburban prep school that's like an hour away. And so Star straddles two different worlds, has to code switch, 
and navigate a dual identity with being this poor African-American kid who goes to a predominantly white school and socializes with rich white kids. She even dates a rich white boy, but poor Star is constantly hyper-aware of not being perceived as hood or ghetto. But anyway, the novel begins at a party in her neighborhood, where Star runs into her childhood best friend Khalil. A shooting occurs, and they leave the party together. On their drive home, they were stopped by a police officer for no reason. And a few minutes into the fake and fraudulent traffic stop, the police officer shoots Khalil who's unarmed and does absolutely nothing to provoke his own murder. The news picks it up and Khalil's murder becomes national headline news and as frequently happens, Khalil is blamed for his own murder. The criminal justice system works overtime to protect the killer cop so Star and her community rise to protest for justice. So... Here's what I loved about The Hate You Give. The writing is so smooth, as smooth as jazz. This book runs over 400 pages and yet it was just so easy to read and tells a compelling story. It took me three days and I hated when I had to put it down to work, eat, sleep, and do other life stuff. And even though it deals with really topical, timely issues, I mean, when is race not topical or timely? But that's a whole other conversation. But the story here, in spite of its gravity, also has jocularity and a sense of humor, which made it easy to read. This playfulness does not diminish the importance of the subject matter, but helps the reader breathe in between episodes of tension and casual horror. And I think it also works to demonstrate that we are people that are resilient and that in spite of all the hardships, there is hope we will overcome and there are still many reasons to be happy and many opportunities to find joy. And there is a lot of humor in this book. For example, on page 30, it reads, Black Jesus hangs from the cross in a painting on the hallway wall and Malcolm X holds a shotgun in a photograph next to him. Nana still complains about those pictures hanging next to each other. So even though the writing feels very easy, casual, and ordinary, it is deceptively good. The prose flows really well, the language is accessible, the author manages to really balance slang, ebonics, and standard American English without a hiccup, which I found freaking admirable. It felt effortless. And whenever something feels effortless, I as a writer know that on the back end, it takes a gargantuan effort to get it to feel that way. And yes, the reverse is also true. Anyway, here's another example on page 33. It's like a fragile sticker is on my forehead. And instead of taking a chance and saying something that might break me, they'd rather say nothing at all. But the silence is the worst. I feel like the amount of work that Angie Thomas did with this book is quite staggering. And I have to be honest, I'm not the type of writer that's easily impressed by the work of others. But quite frankly, I admire what Angie Thomas has done here. I'd be really interested to know how long it took for her to write and revise this book. If you happen to know, leave me a comment on my social media. Another strength of this book, it's its ability to capture the human condition. In this book, you will experience the anger that accompanies loss, the pain of tragedy, love's gentle sweetness, and people just going about their everyday business. Let me read you an example from page 37. We turn onto Marigold Avenue where Garden Heights is waking up. Some ladies wearing floral headscarves come out of the laundromat carrying big baskets of clothes. Mr. Rubin unlocks the chains on his restaurant. His nephew Tim, the cook, leans against the wall and wipes sleep from his eyes. Miss Yvette yawns as she goes in her beauty shop. 
This is such an effective paragraph, and I'll tell you why. So the paragraph starts out with the writer saying, We turn onto Marigold Avenue where Star's neighborhood, Garden Heights, is waking up. Immediately, I start to feel sleepy because it's early in the morning in the paragraph and a languid time of day. Also, this paragraph describes Star's inner city neighborhood. There's a laundromat. There's a guy who's unlocking the chains on his restaurant, which suggests it's a neighborhood where it's a little bit unsafe. Restaurants in the suburbs don't have chains on them. And then there is a beauty shop, and it's a beauty shop, not a salon. And then the author follows up with saying his nephew, Tim, the cook, leans against the wall and wipes sleep from his eyes. Guys, I get even sleepier here. Then the author writes, Miss Yvette yawns as she goes in her beauty shop. And I didn't even realize what was happening as I was reading, but I yawned at that moment. So guys, if a writer does not manipulate your emotions or your feelings, I'm sorry, they haven't done their job. This here is an excellent example of a writer making me yawn with just words. Angie Thomas choreographs an early morning, transports me into the moment, and tricks me into feeling sleepy, so much so that I physically yawn in real life. <sighs> and I read this paragraph around 5.30, 6 p.m., not at bedtime or first thing in the morning. It's incredible. I love this book also because it's populated with some very colorful neighborhood characters that have flesh and bone and feel like real people. Like Mr. Lewis, the grumpy widower who grumbles and complains about everything. And then there's Mr. Rubin, who owns the restaurant with the chains on it, remember? And Mr. Rubin is so nice. He remembers his customers' usual orders. He knows all the kids. If a kid comes in with a good report card, they get a free meal. And even if a kid comes in with a bad report card, they still get a free meal as long as they promise to do better. So sweet. I could see all these people in my mind's eye, even though the author didn't really describe what they looked like. Their personalities just lifted off the page. Another thing I quite enjoyed about this book is that in many African cultures, names are really important, very significant. They are a marker for your destiny, a proclamation of your fate. And I was excited to see this tradition reflected in an African-American novel. For example, on page 48, the author writes, Daddy once told me that King's parents named him after the same gang he later joined, and that's why a name is important. It defines you. Another strong feature of this book is that it was a prophecy for today. There's a line that Star's father says on page 210. He says this in response to the district attorney. In the meantime, tell your boys, the mayor, and the police chief to get them fucking tanks out of my neighborhood. Claim folks need to act peaceful, but rolling through here like we in a goddamn war. Guys, this book was published in 2017, which means Angie Thomas started writing this book in 2014, 2015. I'm speculating. I don't know. It is 2020 today, and it is a gut-wrenching shame that nothing has changed, that right now there are militarized police officers in the military on the streets attacking peaceful, unarmed black protesters. Moving along, I love that this book gave me all the feels, the fullness of human emotion. It made me want to be 16 again and fall in love for the first time like Star and her boyfriend Chris. It made me want to grow old with someone just like Star's parents. It reminded me that even the world's violence and diabolical white supremacy cannot keep us from loving and being loved. So guys, there you go. I've told you what I absolutely loved about The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. But before I tell you what I loved a little bit less, here's a quick message from my sponsor. Don't go anywhere. This episode of the Misty Bloom Book Club is made possible by the support of my novel, Oyibo, spelled O-Y-I-B-O. It is 1976, 
when prodigal daughter Songoli returns to her mother's home in a remote southeastern Nigerian village with a wailing toddler on her hip. Not long after, Songoli vanishes again, leaving the fair-skinned and dreadlocked child Adesua and unanswered questions behind. Oibo is the haunting chronicle of Adesua's troubled girlhood in the village where she is persecuted for her biracial dreadlocked appearance. And after a tragedy occurs, the novel falls at Desua's devastating coming of age in the bustling cities of Lagos and ultimately Brooklyn, New York. Reviewers have described Oibo as captivating, powerful, and heart-wrenching. Oibo is available on Amazon. Welcome back to the Misty Bloom Book Club. Thanks for staying with me. So I'm going to talk about what I think was less successful about The Hate You Give. But before I jump in, I do want to talk a little bit more about emotion. So here's the thing with emotion. And if you're here for writing tips, you might want to pay particular attention to what I'm about to say. Emotion will save a writer from a multitude of sins. I don't think The Hate You Give is a perfect book by any means, but I was also reluctant to identify the imperfections of The Hate You Give because of how emotionally gripping this novel is. I was so swept up in the story, so much so that even in the moments that I'm going to talk about when it lags, I waited patiently. I extended grace because I'd fallen in love with Star and the other characters. And I knew that in the hands of this writer, Angie freaking Thomas, it won't be long before the beauty returns again. But with that being said, I got to be honest about a couple things. First, I didn't like the parts of the book where I felt Angie Thomas was explaining African-American culture. For example, in the scene where Star and her parents visit Miss Rosalie, Khalil's grandmother, the writer explains the very uniquely African-American ways in which the characters in that scene greet each other, and describes what they're wearing, like the head wraps and whatnot, and Angie Thomas also describes Khalil's grandmother in regal terms. The whole overdone black queen narrative, this entire scene made me cringe, and then there was a mac and cheese conversation later in the book, which irked me. I just didn't care for, you know, like trying to explain ourselves to other people. I totally get why it's necessary for a wider mainstream audience, but I just hate that publishers and the reading audience demand this of black and minority writers. And so we have to do it. When I read books by white writers, they don't explain how they greet each other. They don't explain their foods. They don't explain themselves at all. The expectation is that we live in their world and we should know and understand them. And even as readers... When we don't understand certain aspects of white or European culture, the burden is on us to do the work to understand them. But when it's us, we have to help them understand us. And that makes me itch. <laughs> Another flaw of this book is that unlike when the author describes the characters that live in Star's black neighborhood that I talked about earlier, like Mr. Rubin, when the author describes the non-black or white characters that are Star's friends from her prep school, they don't feel quite as three-dimensional. They all kind of blended into each other especially her two best friends, Haley and Maya. For the longest time, they felt like the same person. I couldn't tell them apart for nothing, until much later in the book when Star visits Maya's house. Finally, the writing toward the end of The Hate You Give came off to me as chaotic. One could argue that this was done to reflect the agitative nature of the protest, rioting, looting that occurred, but I would argue that the writing became chaotic way before that. Starting with the Memorial Day pool party, too many people occupy that scene and the ensuing scenes after, and Angie Thomas devoted attention to every single character's actions and activities, whether or not these actions propelled the narrative forward. As a writer, I recognize that Angie Thomas was preparing 
us for this climactic breakneck speed conclusion, but it felt like too many things were always happening to too many people at the same time. But that's about it for what I thought was less successful about The Hate You Give. As you can see, I overwhelmingly loved it. <laughs> so now I'm going to shift gears and guess what Angie Thomas, the writer, is like personality-wise and wrap up with my final thoughts. But before I do, here's a quick message from my sponsor. Stay right there. This episode of the Misty Bloom Book Club is made possible by the support of my novel, Oyibo, spelled O-Y-I-B-O. It is 1976 when prodigal daughter Songoli returns to her mother's home in a remote southeastern Nigerian village with a wailing toddler on her hip. Not long after, Songoli vanishes again, leaving the fair-skinned and dreadlocked child Adesua and unanswered questions behind. Oibo is the haunting chronicle of Adesua's troubled girlhood in the village where she's persecuted for her biracial dreadlocked appearance. And after a tragedy occurs, the novel falls Adesua's devastating coming of age in the bustling cities of Lagos and ultimately Brooklyn, New York. Reviewers have described Oibo as captivating, powerful, and heart-wrenching. Oibo is available on Amazon. Welcome back to the Misty Bloom Book Club. Thanks for hanging out with me. So let's talk about what I feel Angie Thomas would be like. Personality-wise, I feel like Angie Thomas would be bright, fun, the type of person that would be great to go to brunch with and have really good, interesting, thoughtful conversations with over mimosas. I think she'd make for a great conversationalist. But I also think she might be a little reserved and better one-on-one -on -one than in large groups. If you know her, let me know if I'm right on target or completely missed the mark. Okay, now for my closing thoughts. All I know is I'll be reading Angie Thomas's future work. Point blank period because I've seen how good she is and what she's capable of. Although I do feel nervous for her because with such a powerful debut, she has set the bar so high and I don't envy her the task of outperforming herself. <laughs> and I'm also nervous for myself as a reader because my expectations for Angie Thomas are so high now that I'd be disappointed with anything that's not as astonishing as the hate you give. For this reason, I wish her all the luck in the world and wish her the best with her writing career. I think Angie Thomas is a force to be reckoned with and that everyone should go read the hate you give. Thank you for hanging out with me on this episode of the Misty Bloom Book Club. Don't forget to like, share, leave a comment, and subscribe to find me on social media or to contact me for sponsorship opportunities or if you'd like to become a member of the Misty Bloom Book Club and enjoy all of those wonderful perks, go to www.mistybloom.com for all of my information. Be sure to check out my novel, Oyibo, spelled O-Y-I-B-O, exclusively available on Amazon. Until next time, keep reading, stay lit, peace and love.